We just concluded a short series on our identity statements and who we are as New Life Church. And now, because of that, we get to transition this morning back into the book of Romans. Some of you who have been with the church for a while know that over the last year and a half, we have been working on the book of Romans. We took a break in the summertime to look at the Psalms, and then we did a short series on our identity statements, and now we're going to pick up for the second half of the book of Romans in chapter 9. But I want to review for you briefly the first half of the book of Romans, both for those of you who weren't here before and for those of you who may have forgotten over the summer, as my kids say, it's the summer brain drain, right? And so some of you may have had a summer brain drain and have forgotten everything that happened in the book of Romans. And so we're going to try and give just a a quick review, starting in Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, He is writing, he starts off his letter by addressing this church in Rome, a church that uh, likely has both Jewish and Gentile believers, that Gentile believers were non-Jewish people, in this case mostly Greeks, Uh, And he so he's writing to them and and explaining the gospel to them. And he starts off by by just really laying it down and saying that that uh, this is the gospel um, promised beforehand through the, the prophets and the scriptures concerning Jesus, his son descended from David, according to the flesh, declared to be the son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit, by his resurrection from the dead. This is the whole hope right there. Jesus, the Son of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, died and rose again from the dead. And he just, boom, the gospel right in your face. And then uh, he says in in Romans 1, verse 16, uh, as he goes on, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, And also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Paul Paul is is just cutting through with laser-like precision and saying, look, I need you to understand that this whole letter, everything about our faith, everything about what we believe has to do with the gospel. And the reason that he has to be so uh, clear about this, have you ever had it where you're, you're with two people and they're like, they don't always get along and they don't always agree, but you're friends with both of them. And so you have to do this thing where you just really hang on to what is true and very carefully tell these people where they're just really in the wrong and also how much you very much love them and these people too, how much they are in the wrong, but how much you very much love them too. And really, if they would just agree on what was true, these two people who are not getting along might begin to get along. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? No. 
This is what happens. You use an illustration that no one understands because nobody can relate to it. And so, well, that's what Paul's doing here. Okay, he's got on one hand the Jews, those who grew up uh, with the scriptures, with the heritage, with with the glorifying God in the temple and the sacrificial system. These are the, the people who they are God's chosen people. And then he's got these Gentiles, these Greeks who have heard that God has sent his son and they now can believe. And, and, and Paul is trying to um, just really be clear about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't so that these two groups of people can understand one another and not be arrogant toward the other group. But so that they can get along and understand how great and glorious are the promises of God as revealed through the gospel. And so Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. From there he goes on, I'm I'm not going to, I wanted to really set up. Uh, the gospel in those first few verses and, and set up this letter in those first few verses. I'm not going to, I don't have time to preach the whole, it took us a year and a half <laughs> before. So I don't have time to preach all of uh, Romans 1 through 8 um, like I wish I did this morning. But uh, from there, from his initial, this is what the gospel is about and why I cling to it by faith, he begins to unfold the necessity of the gospel as he talks about the wrath of God as it's been revealed and how God hates sin. Anything that is opposed to God, God hates that. And he lays that out in, in a really compelling fashion by, by saying everybody sins and God hates that. And then you might ask, well, okay, but um, how do they know that they sinned? And he says, well, that's what the law was for. The law was there so that you would know that you had sinned and that you needed the grace of God. Well, what about those who hadn't received the law? Those two, even if they haven't received the law, they do what the law says because their own consciences bear them witness that this is what is right and what is wrong. And so even if they haven't received formally the law, they inherently know what is true and that God is there because God has revealed himself through creation and just looking around around and just thinking about what is right and what is wrong, you should know God is there and he has revealed himself and that God doesn't like sin. And so whether you were a Jew or whether you were a Greek, whether you received the law and had it from the time that you were very little and the whole time that you were growing up, or whether you just found out about it at the ripe old age of 50, you either in either case are guilty of sin and the wrath of God is against you. All have sinned. That's what he he says uh, in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is how you get to have righteousness. This is how you get to have right standing with God. It's through faith in what Jesus has done. It's not through the law. It's not through the instructions that the Jewish people had been given. Now, the Jewish people would have been going, pretty sure it's about the law. 
The law told us this is how we were supposed to, from the time I was very small, when we laid down and when we rose up and when we stayed in and when we went out and when we walked along the way, my parents told me, this is how you must live. And we had the law. And Paul says, yeah, that's, that was to direct you so that you would recognize how wicked and evil your hearts are. How much you were not able to keep the law and the need for grace through faith in Jesus. All of it was set up so that it would point you toward knowing how much you needed the grace of God. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that. The reason that God did it this way was so that He could both be just, which we crave. We crave justice. That's not fair, we say. We want, we want justice. But at the same time, we recognize that if we received the full justice of God, we would get His wrath rather than His love. And so, how can God both be just and love us and be compassionate toward us? It's only if He's just and the justifier. If He both uh, pours out His wrath and also takes that wrath as Jesus on the cross. Again, in Romans 6.23, it says... um, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The things that we deserve because of our sin is death, separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is true for everybody. Everybody. Whether Jew or Greek, for everybody it was this way. And he, he uh, even in uh, chapter 4, goes through and goes, look, at, look, this is how you know it's for everybody. Because for Abraham, it was before circumcision. He, he received righteousness through faith. He was declared righteous through his faith before he was circumcised. That is, before uh, he had received the, the covenant signs. So he he wants to make it really clear that all of this is through faith. In fact, he says we are uh, released from the law through the death of Jesus. And now we live by the spirit rather than by the law. No longer are we trying to uh, conform to this model as laid out by the law. We are uh, walking by the spirit and it looks very similarly But we understand that for those who have been saved, they have received the Holy Spirit and they walk in faith now through the power of the Holy Spirit, not in their own trying according to the works of the law. 
So that in verse uh, in chapter eight, verse 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So for all those who believe in God, who have accepted the death and resurrection of Jesus by faith, they have received the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit get to cry, Abba, Father, they are adopted as sons. They are, they are adopted as children of God and the, the Holy Spirit within them is the sign of the guarantee of that. And it goes on in, in uh, chapter 8 to talk about this hope we have because of that. This hope that we have in God and in His promises and in His faithfulness. Uh, a hope that is assured to us because of the Holy Spirit that is within us. That whatever suffering we might go through, we might still have hope. Because that hope will not fail. That hope will not disappoint. No matter what is happening externally, we, His promises will not fail to us. And we will not ultimately be disappointed in Him. Nothing can stand against us when we are in, in God through Christ. And that brings us all the way very quickly, albeit, all, all the way up to chapter 9. And in, in chapter 9, he begins to address this new question, which is, um, if the law convicts of sin... But salvation comes through Jesus apart from the law. Then what about the Jews? What about the Jews? Paul's spent a lot of ink demonstrating that righteousness and justification do not come through the law. And he's done that so that the, the Jews don't place too high of a value on their heritage, on the law, on their moralism. But now he, he, he needs to sort of speak to the other side too and go, it, it's not that I hate the Jews. Romans 9 verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul, Paul is, is thinking about all of the things that he's laid out and the hope of the gospel that comes apart from the law, the, the hope of the gospel that, that comes from the grace, the free grace of God. And he's thinking about his brothers that have all of these advantages. 
And yet many of them don't believe. They've got the history. They've had the teachings. They've had the upbringing. Everything that would would set them up for success. And yet, they're outside of the grace of God. They, They find themselves still under the wrath of God. Even while some Gentiles are now being brought in because the grace of God comes through faith alone. And now these Gentiles are being brought in at the same time that he is excited about that and welcoming them in. He's looking at his brothers, the the Israelites, the Jews, who, who, why don't they get it? There are are things that that we have that um, just play to our strengths. Everybody has something that plays to their strengths. Because of of the way that you were built, because of the family you grew up in, because of uh, whatever kind of advantage that you might have for that particular uh, task or activity or 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 whatever, I um, for a long time didn't realize I was tall. That sounds strange, but I didn't realize I was tall, and I didn't realize that it was an advantage to be tall. I felt short. Because all of my younger cousins grew beyond me. Because my aunts were still taller than I was. I, I got to about full height and was I'm not even as tall as my aunts. I get to family reunions and except for the adopted Korean cousins, uh, I was shorter than everybody. <laughs> but we were over uh, at somebody's uh, we were visiting them and spending time with them. Um, this was a couple of years ago, and uh, they don't have kids at home anymore. And our kids were there, and, and we said, hey, can, do you have a, a chair or something so that we can help them brush their teeth because they, they can't reach the sink? Oh, we have the step stool. That's, so you just have the step stool for like when kids come over and stuff? And she looked at me, Actually, she, she looked at me, and she went, this step stool is for me. I never thought about the fact that a full-grown adult would need a step stool. Because it, it was to my advantage that I was tall. It's, I played basketball and volleyball. I'm not necessarily great at it, but it's to my advantage that I'm tall. There are things, I was listening to a podcast about um, athletes and how, uh, are we really getting bigger, faster, stronger? And they said, no, we're not really getting bigger, faster, stronger. We're just getting weirder and more specialized. Really tall people play basketball. People with, with long, extra long arms play water polo. People with uh, long, skinny legs and narrow ankles run marathons. There are things that are about your genetic makeup and who you are that work to your advantage. Small people uh, do gymnastics. It's easier. I'm too tall to do gymnastics. There, there's this different thing that, that 
if you are the, this way, it is to your advantage. Well, does that mean that every tall pe- person is great at basketball? No. It's really disappointing when you're out on the playground and you pick teams and you go, I want that kid on my team. In middle school, there was one kid over six foot. He was 6'3 in seventh grade. Everybody looked up to him. I, that wasn't even... A, okay. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> he was lousy at basketball. He didn't particularly like basketball. He had to play on the basketball team because he was the tallest kid there. He was terrible at shooting, had no coordination because he'd grown too fast. And all the smaller kids were just going by him. But he was tall. He should have been good at basketball. It was so disappointing when you picked him to be on your team and you lost. Because he couldn't play ball. You're tall, man. What's wrong with you? And Paul is looking at the Jewish people and he's going, what's wrong with you? You had every advantage. You had every advantage. These people who were outside of God's covenant people, these people who were, who had no upbringing about who God was, who were believing all of these things about a pantheon of Greek gods and were being raised in a completely different way, they are coming to the gospel and understanding what it means to believe in Jesus and they are beginning to get it and they are now coming into the covenant and receiving the promises and the grace of God and you're standing on the outside even though we've come completely set, been set up. You've been completely prepared for this. And it's not just something trivial, like being tall and winning a basketball game or losing a b- basketball game. We're talking about the salvation of God's chosen people. And so when you think about the, the history of Paul going out as a missionary and first proclaiming the gospel to the Jews and the Jews rejecting that and him going, fine, if you won't receive it, I'm going to go to the Greeks. The attitude I usually put in him when, when I'm reading that, it's, it is that way. Fine, I'm going to go to the Greeks then. You won't receive it, I'm gone. That's not the attitude he had. If you won't receive the gospel, I'm going to take it to the Greeks. He's crushed. He grew up in that. The Jew of Jews. He followed the law to the letter. He was passionate. He had more zeal about the Jewish faith than everybody else. Even those much older than him who had been in it for much longer. He was passionate about it. And then he got the, heard the gospel and he went, No way! I am a Jew. That does not sound right. And Jesus said, Hello! And Paul went, Oh, now I get it. 
And as he began to follow Christ, he started tell, telling all of his fellow Jews, Hey, no, really, I know what sounds out there, but listen, if you look at the Scriptures, it all points to Him. Jesus fulfills all of the Scriptures. It all goes to Him. This is it. This is the Messiah we have been waiting for. This is God coming to be our justification. He is our redemption. He is the one who draws us in. This is the new covenant as promised by Jeremiah. And the Jews were going, no, uh-uh, no, I'm happy here. And Paul's going, no, don't be content with that. And as he's thinking about all of these Jews who are not receiving the gospel, it just weighs so heavy on him. That he's going, how can this be? All of these promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to the nation of Israel. How can it be that they would reject Him now when the Messiah comes? This can't be right! You know, there are all kinds of people who start reading things in the Bible and hearing about the kind of God that we serve, the kind of God who is God over the universe, and they go, that can't be right. Uh-uh, no, no, uh If that's what God's like, I don't want to believe in Him. What? Let's review that statement. If there is one true God in the universe, only one God, and this is what He's like, you don't want to believe in Him? Does that matter? That's who He is. You don't get to decide whether or not that's what He's like. But Paul is expressing this in very similar kinds of language. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying that my, and my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I don't think he could be any more clear that he really means this. I have a great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I so, I so want for them to believe that I, I could almost, I could almost lose my salvation for their sake. If it would help them. He just has this deep pain. And when I hear people go, I could never believe in a God who would send people to hell. Guess what? They are in sin and stand condemned already. The wrath of God is against them unless they believe and receive His grace. 
Whether or not you wish that was true doesn't change it. But our hearts can break. We can cry and we can weep for those who are outside the gospel, that, that don't understand it, outside of God's grace because they refuse to believe. Verse 4, he starts to list, they are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants. Isn't that interesting? To them belong the adoption. Usually we think of them as being the true children and we get adopted in. But in, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God is speaking to Abraham and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and honor and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham, beginning there, that's where the adoption began. That God called them and says, you were not a people, you were not my people, but you are going to leave your father's house and you are going to come and you will be mine. I am going to make you my child. I am going to adopt you and bring you into my family. And through your seed, through your offspring, will be the blessing so that all nations might receive it and come in. And now Paul's writing to this church that has the Jews who come from that lineage of Abraham and to the Greeks who have been adopted in. And he's writing to them and and he's saying, look, don't you Gentiles, don't you Greeks start thinking that, oh wow, yeah, I guess that Jewishness didn't matter after all, did it? Don't be arrogant. Because from them comes the adoption. From them comes the glory of God. As God called His people out of uh, Egypt, as He, he uh, uh, pulled, it says uh, in the Scriptures, from Egypt I called my son. I, I pulled them out and had made this covenant with them on Mount Sinai and then brought them home into the land. And the glory was revealed there. The glory of God was revealed on that mountain to them in the midst of the covenant making as He's pulling them out and making them His people and giving them a homeland. He is um, revealing His presence to them in His glory so that Moses himself, seeing it, is completely overwhelmed. And them, in seeing the radiance on Moses' face, having seen the glory of God, are overwhelmed. And then the presence of God goes with them. The glory of God goes with them in the pillar of fire and in the pillar of the cloud. The presence of God goes with them in the tabernacle so that the glory of God descends on that place. And ultimately, the glory of God descends in the temple and fills that place. What have you got, Gentiles? You got that? Your adoption is dependent on all that God has done throughout history for the Israelites. 
Through them is the adoption. Through them is the glory. Through them is the covenant. Through them, the giving of law. Through them, the worship of God. Through them, the promises of God to His people which have now been extended to you by the grace of Jesus. That wasn't yours before. All of that came through them. And you are being brought in almost after the fact. After God has already done all of these things through history, you are now being tacked on, grafted in from the outside. But they're the ones that it all came to. They have every advantage. They had seen the whole thing. They have the history. They had the being raised this way, being told. These are the stories of God's faithfulness to us and to our people. And we are God's people. And yet some of them find themselves outside of that. Somehow being the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, and still finding themselves outside of the new covenant. And so he grieves. And some of you know people like this. Some of you have children like this. Some of you have friends that you go, you grew up and you got told from the time you were this big. Your parents brought you up and dedicated you. You grew up through Sunday school. We read the Bible after dinner. From the time you were small, you've been taught these things and raised this way and shown the way to live. And yet you've rejected it. And what is going on? To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all. Even Jesus. Even Jesus, according to the flesh, came through the Israelites. Our hope. In Romans 1, verses 3 and 4, we saw this earlier. Concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and who was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We saw the letter started that way. That's the hope of the gospel. He was, according to the flesh, a descendant of David and then was declared to be the Son of God in power through His death and resurrection by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, when Paul's writing a letter to the church at Colossae, he's describing who Jesus is and he's saying, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So when we find ourselves in uh, Romans 9, verse 5, it says, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. God chose God chose to incarnate Himself into this line of people. So that from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Chosen One of God for the salvation of His people, who is Himself God over all and will be blessed forever. Amen. And so before we start thinking we're all that, and we don't need you, Jewish people, We don't need you and your traditions and your histories. This is how through history God has chosen to reveal himself. And there are those who have had every single advantage. Because of the way that they were raised, because of the place that they were raised. But none of those advantages are going to count for anything if they do not believe. And the same thing is true now. It is true for those who are Jewish, who have refused to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Messiah. But it is also true for those who think that they are Christian or claim to be Christian, but do not believe the gospel. They think they are Christian because they grew up in the church. They think they are Christian because they live in a Christian uh, society and believe in Christian morality. And yet find themselves outside of the grace of the new covenant. Because they do not believe in the justification that comes through Jesus. And I'm confident that as I say that, there are people that you are thinking of, who you know, who you feel like they really should believe, and they don't. And it is appropriate for our hearts to be broken for them and to cry out to God on their behalf and to try with all words of persuasion that we can think of to beg them to please reconsider and believe the gospel. Because the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And the law and Christian morality and going to church doesn't change any of that. 
unless we believe that Jesus, the Son of David according to the flesh, but revealed to be the Son of God in power through His resurrection of the dead, has died on our behalf so that we might live a new life with Him. Can we pray together for those this morning that are outside of God's grace because of what they believe? Oh Lord God, we come to you this morning and we know that our desire alone will not change anything. And that we have no ability to change people's hearts or minds. But we are thinking of those this morning who even though they have had every spiritual advantage, do not believe the gospel. Have not claimed it as their own. Have not been transformed in Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask, would you reach them Would you reveal yourself to them in a way that they cannot deny that you are God? Father, we pray that whatever it takes for them to believe the gospel, that that would happen. And we pray that you would continue to help us to be humble in our faith. Not arrogant toward those who do not believe. But give us compassionate hearts. For the sake of the glory of your Son in whom we put our hope and trust. Amen.